All right, Brother Chen will be preaching for us tonight. We appreciate him and, and all that he does in the school, and he does a fantastic job, by the way. And We have a good staff in our school, and he does a really good job with it, and so we appreciate him. So, Brother Chen, why don't you come preach for us? Please stand, please stand with me as I try to take this off here. I'm not as strong as Pastor. Bear with me. Oh, I think I just almost broke something here. Oh, where's, where's the button over here? Oh, yeah, there you go. Okay, cool. Please stand with me. Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. Isaiah 5, 1 through 4. The Bible says, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. And he looked at it, should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more? This is our text. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I sh have not done to it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. Now, we understand that this is Isaiah speaking here. And my well-beloved, or my beloved, is in reference to Jesus Christ, or God the Father. And we understand that the vineyard is in reference to the children of Israel, God's chosen people. And we also see here that God took a lot of time and care in caring for this vineyard. He pulled out all the rocks where this vineyard was located. He put a tower in the midst of it to protect it from any fouls or enemies or bad things that could get, take place in that vineyard. God really wanted good things to be produced from that vineyard. But at the same time, what was produced? Grapes? Wild grapes. The Bible, many scholars would interpret wild grapes as sour grapes, stinky grapes. Nonetheless, what we understand from reading this context is that the wild grapes were undesirable by God. God did not intend for the wild grapes to take place. And by the way, let me say this before I pray. Have you ever had a situation in life where you just regretted the outcome? How many of you guys would agree with me? I, there's been many things that I've done, sadly, in my life where it's like, man, I, would, I didn't really plan for that outcome. I didn't really plan for that to happen. I need to be smarter. I need to be wiser. Now, this is God the Father that had an undesired outcome. Now, he's perfect. We're not perfect. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I pray that you would help me as I preach and empower me. My desire, Lord, is to be a blessing I really don't want to stand in the way of you doing anything tonight, dear God. It's a rainy day. Many people could stay home. Many perhaps did. But at the end of the day, your people are here. We want to hear from thy word. And I pray that you would establish that tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Please be seated. The text statement or question was, what could have been done more to my vineyard? What could have been done more? Perhaps you too have had situations in life where there was regret. The title of my message tonight is A Life of Regret. A Life of Regret. The thought that I would like to focus on is in verse 4, as I just mentioned, what could have been done more? In other words, after God put all the resources that he could think of into making sure that this, this vineyard was located in the choices of fields, 
This was located in a very fruitful hill. There was a tower to protect it. The outcome still was not desired. The outcome was still not what he intended for. Regret is a very painful emotion of guilt, remorse, and often disappointment. It involves anguish about a past event that could have been changed, and that's where regret comes from. It could have been changed within our power, something that we could have been doing differently. We want to change the outcome. We wish that the circumstances were different. There's a story of some university students setting up a large chalkboard on the sidewalk of a busy section of New York City for one whole day. At the top of the chalkboard was written, write your biggest regret. They provided a supply of colored chalk and set up a video camera of people walking by to view that chalkboard. The chalkboard attracted many people walking by and was soon covered with written regrets that were very thought-provoking. The video camera caught many with tears in their eyes as they stopped to undoubtedly ponder the very own big regrets that they've had in their life. Some of the things that were written were, I regret burning bridges. I regret burning bridges. I regret making hasty decisions affecting those that I loved. I regret not spending more time with my wife and my kids. I regret not saying I love you more often to those that I loved. What regrets has God brought to your mind? Maybe perhaps you're sitting here on the lower floor of the balcony and you're thinking of some things that you, decisions you've made that you kind of wish you could take back. But sadly, you're living with regret because you can't take them back. You can't take them back. Perhaps you regret not training your children with more discipline, biblical discipline. They're older now, and it's clear to you and perhaps others around you that they are nowhere near ready for adulthood. By the way, it's a sad thing to see, and I would encourage for some of us that maybe look at something like that with a critical eye. Don't look at it with a critical eye. Understand that perhaps... They didn't have the resources. Perhaps they just made a mistake, like we make mistakes, right? And let's cheer each other on, let's root for each other. Perhaps you're regretting not doing more to share the gospel with unsaved loved ones. Perhaps you're regretting some besetting sin that you've allowed into your home, thinking that because your children are small and they're young, that they won't know the difference. They won't know the curse words that they're hearing on TV that pastor preaches against. They won't know the difference, and they'll forget about it. Oh, but sadly, let me say this. How many of you remember things from your childhood? How many, do you, how many of you remember the arguments that maybe your parents had? How many of you remember some wickedness that was in the home at a very young age? And I want to encourage you, don't make the mistake of thinking that just because your kids are small, they will not remember. They will remember, and they may repeat it, and you will regret Regret is a horrible feeling, but regret is something that we all can minimize by the grace of God if we only take heed to the word of God. Now, I use the word minimize and not eliminate. Here's why. Because we are foolish. We have sin. We have a sin nature. Sadly, we are not going to be perfect. Any one of us could wake up in the morning time and try your best to live as long as you can without making one sin. Someone's going to cut you off on the freeway. Your wife's going to make you over easy eggs when you want to well done. No. You shouldn't get mad about that, all right? However, we're not perfect, and all we can do is minimize the regret that can take place in our lives. I'd like to share two reasons on why people end up with a life of regret. 
why people end up with a life of regret. Number one, they end up with a life of regret because they undervalue the consequence of sin. They undervalue the consequence of sin. Thank God for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from our sin and makes us heaven-bound. Thank God for that. However, a sinner like you and I could be blood-bought, forgiven, and heaven-bound. Have our sins forgiven, washed away, heaven-bound, yet still live with the repercussions of some of the past sins that we committed. I'll prove it. Let's say that you were uh, addicted to gambling, not you, but let's say someone was addicted to gambling. They are addicted to gambling. They lost their home. They lost their job. They lost their wife. They lost their kids. But thank God they ended up getting saved later on in life. And by the way, thank God for salvation. That's more important than anything else. They end up getting saved, but guess what? They don't get their job back. They don't get their home back. Their wife doesn't say, oh, you're saved now? Let's cuddle up a little bit. No, that doesn't happen. They're still, they still lost their wife. They still lost their kids. They're heaven-bound, but they still have to deal with the repercussions of sin. Understand this, that sin not only has a consequence, but it also has a deception. Sin also has a deception. Many have said to themselves, in the midst of sin, no one will find out. No one will ever find out. And by the way, let me say this. The Bible tells us what? Be sure your sin will find you out. Be for sure your sin will find you out. And a lot of times, oftentimes, when you are found out, it brings a lot more shame than you ever anticipated. It brings a lot more embarrassment than you ever anticipated. And my next point, it brings a lot more consequences than you ever anticipate. Don't undervalue the consequence of sin. Don't undervalue it. You know, when I'm, when I'm, if I'm driving 100 miles an hour on the freeway and I'm speeding through life trying to save five minutes of time, that's exactly what it ends up being, right? Risking all of this to save five minutes of time. I get pulled over by a police officer. I can't throw a $20 bill at him and say, you know what, I'm sorry, officer. Sorry for your troubles. Man, I did wrong. I shouldn't have gone 100 miles an hour. 70, I get but 100 that's just a little too fast. Here you go, there's 20 bucks. Oh, here, there's $2 here. I got two bucks right here. I don't get to choose the consequence for my sin. I don't get to set the terms when the officer pulls me over and says, you know what, here, officer, here's a check for $50. No. How many of you guys have ever driven 100 miles? I just want to make sure. No. If you've ever driven that fast, you know that you get hundreds, uh, a fine that's hundreds of dollars worth. You don't get to choose the, the consequence for your sin. You know, oftentimes... I look at this picture in my office. I'm the, I ruined the picture by being in it. But this is a picture of my family. Five kids. All these people having babies, five kids, honey. Five. God's given us five kids. Not that I won't welcome another one. I, five kids. That's all I can say. All right? But I look at this picture, and I learned this from Brother Treber. Whenever he travels and preaches, I'm not that important, obviously, but whenever he travels and preaches, he puts up his briefcase and he sets up pictures of his family to remind himself of what he will lose if he messes up, he does something dumb. What he will lose. It's basically counting the cost. And I have this picture in my office, and many of you guys have seen it, especially those of you that have been suspended. I mean, you've seen it. <laughs> I have this picture up there. Well, actually, your back is to it, so you might not see it. I have this picture there. I want to see a picture of my wife. By the way, she's a wonderful wife. I want to see a picture of my five children. And they're wonderful. I don't deserve them. I don't deserve them. But I remind myself, 
you do anything dumb. You try to do any, have any besetting sins and you try to live a secret life and you try to um, uh, have an a illegitimate relationship uh, and be unfaithful to your wife or be unfaithful to your kids, guess what? I'll take it all away. And then I think about my position as principal of the school. By the way, I'm thankful for that opportunity and that privilege. And I think about the privilege I have to, to head up a Sunday school class. What a blessing that is to be able to preach in church. God will take all that away. All of that away if I want to sit there and have a secret life. God will take all of that away. There is a deception in sin. There's a consequence. There's a, there's a cost to sin. It never works out. The regret is too overwhelming. I can't imagine losing my kids. My kids right now, they come to me and my wife. Very, very, very sweet relationship that we have at home. And it could be better if I'm better, I imagine. But we have a very loving relationship. At the same time, I couldn't imagine my kids. Hey, CJ, come here. Um, who do you think you are, Dad? You're sitting there doing that junk. Living that secret life. Hey, Benji, come here. What? No, you're a bad person. I couldn't imagine that. Or my wife, hey, honey, let's go out on a date. No, honey, uh, you just lost my trust. People live with that every single day because they don't consider the consequence of sin. They don't consider the deception of sin. And if you are not experiencing that, put up some safeguards so you'll never experience it. And you'll never have that regret. It will never work out. The regret is too overwhelming. Don't do it. If you're dabbling in sin right now that may be unbeknownst to your family, you think no one knows about it. By the way, the devil will try his best to make sure you think that about your sin. That you have that false confidence. And then when you're found out about it, he'll point your finger at God. He'll say, you know what, Lord, look at him. Look at what he's doing. That's what the devil, he'll be on your side. And when you're found out, he'll accuse you. That's what he does. If you're dabbling in sin right now that may be unbeknownst to your family... Realize this, the regret of broken relationships will be unbearable. Can everybody say unbearable? Unbearable. The second reason why people end up with a life of regret is, number two, they underachieve in their one life for God. They underachieve in their one life for God. And by the way, we have one life. That's all we have. And it's a different amount of years for each and every one of us. Some people live 20 years. Some people live 30. Some people live 40. Some people live 50. Some people live 80 years old. Some people live 100 years. There's no guarantee to how long you will live life. God is the chooser of that. At the same time, with whatever amount of life God has given you, God's given you one life. One life. The Bible describes life as a vapor. It appeareth and it vanisheth away. What are you doing with your life to make account for God, your maker? One thing that I often said in Bible college, maybe it's not a good quote because I made it up myself, but one thing that I, I said was, what reason does God have to give you another day of life, Charlie? What reason does God have to give you another day of life? In other words, should he give you another day of life so you can continue in sin? Should he give you another day of life so you can continue watching those movies with bad words in it? Should he continue giving you another day of life so you can live a secret life? Or should he give you another day of life because you are going to be a preacher? You're going to love people. You're going to love your family. You're going to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Is that why he should give you another day of life? And by the way, that's what I'm trying to do. I want, I want to live life in such a way, and I want you, I want to encourage you to live life in such a way where God says, you know what, it's a good thing to give them another day of life. Because God's taking life all the time. People are dying every single day. 
I want to make sure that there's a reason, a valid reason that God has to give me life. They underachieve in their one life for God. Here's a saying that I came up with, again, it may not be a good quote because I came up with it, but when I was in the hospital last, last summer and I woke up, it wasn't very, I'm a very active person. Everybody knows me, okay? I don't just sit down and that's why social media, so me and social media don't, don't, unless there's an app where you can, you know, as you're surfing people's lives and finding out what's going on and what they're eating and maybe you could be active, I don't know. But I, I, I just, so laying there in the hospital was very hard for me. It was very frustrating. I would put up a fake smile when people visit me. Okay, yeah, yeah, I love it, man. God's good. I was very discouraged. One quote that I came up with in the hospital was, if you could do more, you should do more. If you could do more, you should do more. Because there are people that have no legs. They can't go soul winning the way that you can go soul winning. There are people, and my eyesight's getting better a little bit, but they cannot read the Bible. If you could read the Bible, because your eyesight's wonderful, you should read the Bible. There are some people that can't serve God. They can't grieve because they're bound in a wheelchair or they can't speak correctly, whatever the case may be. If you could do more, you should do more. Thank God if you have the ability to walk. Thank God if you have the strength to do things. One thing that I told myself in the hospital, and, 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 and pastor said this, but sometimes when you visit churches, you're used to doing so much at your own church. When you visit churches, you just, okay, I'm supposed to sit here and be greeted. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. No, you're used to doing things. Well, that's me. I was used to doing things. And you guys know me. I walk around. I, there's things that I'm constantly doing. Okay, some of you, hey, Brother Chimp. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, make this quick dance game. Unless you're paying me. All right, here we go. But at the same time, if we could do more, we should do more. I wanted to make sure that when I got home from that hospital, I didn't want to be stagnant. The doctor was telling me, well, there's a chance that this can happen and you might not be able to do that. I don't want to hear all that. Let me prove it for myself. Amen. Let me see what I can do. By God's grace, God allowed me to get back into it relatively quickly. And, and there's a lot of people that helped out with that. And I want to thank God for that. But if you could do more, you should don't underachieve for the Lord your one life for God. Don't underachieve. Our life is to be used for the Lord Jesus Christ. There ought to be a clear, clear signs and patterns in our life to show we are living life heartily to the Lord and not unto men. Yes. Heartily to the Lord. Now let me ask you a question. What signs are clear in your life that you're living for God? What signs are clear in your life that you're living for God? Heartily to the Lord. To the Lord and not unto man. Or is our life all about impressing man? Is our life all about obtaining possession so that we can get a head nod from so-and-so? No, I don't want a head nod from so-and-so. I want a head nod from God. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to know within my heart that God is pleased with my life. That's very important. Whatever amount of life God gave you, it should be for him and his purpose. No man, not man's purpose. I'm thankful that over the last several years, there are still young people choosing the ministry. God is honored with that. God is honored with that. Pastor has had various children serving the, men, the members through PBS over the years. The kids love Miss Hannah as their K-4 teacher. She does a marvelous job. Brother Ross is a daughter serving on staff this year. Ashley, I forgot how old she is, but she's somewhere 
89 years, somewhere now. The Pinedas have a daughter, my niece Anna, serving in her second year of full-time ministry. Now, there is a, a dowry, such a thing as a dowry, and the parents deserve all of that dowry, okay? But then there's something called a secondary dowry. That goes to the uncle, okay? <laughs> By the way, I'm very proud of my niece. She spends a lot of time with my children, and I love it. The Rawls have a son that just left a great job situation to join the staff this year because his words, he wanted to do more for the Lord. He's not trying to underachieve, and he's not underachieving. Choosing the ministry is a good thing. Mrs. Kemp's daughter, Ashlyn, is serving as a first time. She's in our class. She's serving as a first-year full-time teacher. I'm going to pump up these decisions that these young people are making. Why? Because it's a valuable thing. It's a God-honoring thing. It's a great thing that they're choosing the ministry. They're not going to be ashamed. Pastor Esposito and Miss Mary Esposito have five children in full-time work. Five children in full-time work. Brother Esposito and Mrs. Esposito, Miss Denise Esposito, have four of their adult children in full-time work, three of which are serving your children and my children at PBS. By the way, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a God-honoring thing. And they will find out if they, already, if they don't already know, it will be very clear to them and to all of us at the judgment seat of Christ. While some people are, are bickering about, oh, they, they must, uh, they're not going to have a nice this, they're not going to have a nice that. Yeah, that's, that's fine. But when they stand before God, they won't be ashamed. If the Bible is true, which I do believe is true. We can't pick and choose what we think is true about the word of God. Oh, you know what? The blood of Christ, that's what I believe. But, you know, living a dedicated, giving God our heart, soul, and mind, that, ain't, that can't be true. No, it's all true. It's all true. When I see children that grew up in our church, grew up in our homes, choose the ministry, you know what was emphasized at the home. Faith was emphasized at the home. The work of God was emphasized in the home. The privilege of serving the king of kings. By the way, it is a privilege to serve the king of kings. It's a privilege to be in the ministry. It's a privilege to be somebody that gets to worship God and serve him. Praise God for that. Next year, what, was, what else was emphasized in the home? The privilege of serving the king of kings. The judgment seat of Christ was emphasized. You know, I'll tell you what, one thing, I remember a fine arts competition. A lot of parents would take a week off of work to go with their kids to fine arts when we were going to fine arts, and they would, during the awards, you know, it doesn't matter to me, but you know, it really matters if their kids win or not. Don't talk to me right now. I'm focused. All right, third place. I don't want no third place. All right, Charlie Chip Jr. Oh, yay! It's not about first place, son. It's not about second place, no. You know what? We, want our, we don't want our kids to be empty-handed. We love our kids, right? right? We spend a lot of time helping them with their preaching or their drawing or their singing, whatever it may be, taking pictures, photography, Bible memory. We don't want them to be empty-handed. Yeah. And when they stand before the whole audience and people start reading off the awards, we want to make sure. But can I tell you something? I remember one time, Steve, I saw Stephen. He would always win first place for singing, man. What's wrong with you? You already had a good voice. That's the problem. And then one year, Miss Alma convinced me to, 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 to sing a solo. I don't know where you're at, Miss Alma. He convinced me to sing a solo for Fine Arts and Foothill. And I got second place. Well, guess what I found out afterwards? There was only two people that. <laughs> oh. Miss Alma, good. Hey, if you know Miss Alma, she's she's a, she's just really encouraging. Charlie, good job. Wow, Miss Alma, thanks for talking.
or it was like lullabies or something. But, you know, we want our kids to have something to show for. But can you imagine? They stand before the judgment seat of He's not giving awards for lucrative careers. He's not giving awards away for lucrative homes. He's not giving away awards for lucrative possessions. He's giving away awards for those that are serving him, for those that gave their life for him. I don't want my kids to be empty-handed. I want to properly prepare them for the judgment seat of Christ. Young people, listen, it's a wise investment that served the king of kings full time, and it's wonderful. And when you see God face to face, you won't regret it. What are you going to, oh, God, how you doing, Lord? You know what's going to be racing through our minds at that moment we get to stand before God? What did I do for him? What did I do for him? Oh, man, can I just have five more minutes, Lord? I can run across the street and give someone a track in five minutes. I could do that. Can I just read my Bible for five more minutes? Can I just serve in my class for five more minutes? Can I do one more sermon, five more minutes? I can make it happen. Don't be empty-handed. I encourage you with all the opportunities that we have in our church, and this is a wonderful church. This is a wonderful church. There is a lot of opportunities that we have in our church so that we don't have to be empty-handed at the judgment seat of Christ. The truth of the matter is, and correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor, not right here, though. I don't want to be embarrassed. But if you want an opportunity... To be a better soul winner, I'm pretty sure Pastor has room for that. Oh, yeah. If you want an opportunity to work out in the nursery, I'm sure Pastor or Miss Mary, Miss Hall, whoever, okay, has the opportunity for that. If you want an opportunity to sing in our church and you have a good voice, okay, criteria, good voice, and you're living a pretty wholesome life, you'll have an opportunity for that. There's no shortage of opportunities to honor God here, but with all the opportunities that we have, with the truths that He gives us, Day in and day out. And with the past mistakes that we can learn from, from other people, we don't have to live a life of regret. We don't have to. We don't have to. Many people live a life of regret because their kids are older now and their kids don't really care about God and their kids can care less about going to church and there's a lot of regret there. Well, guess what? In this church, the preaching that we have here, you don't have to live that way. Many people live a life of regret because of their marriage. It's not wholesome. It's not God-honoring. Faithfulness is not preached. Honesty is not preached. Well, you don't have to live life that way. You don't have to have regret in your marriage. You can understand that your marriage is supposed to be God-honoring and a tool that God can use. Your parenting is a tool that God can use. You know, one thing that I've learned early on, my kids are far from perfect, but one thing... Is parenting is a great opportunity, yes, but it's a big responsibility. I am responsible for being a parent that tries to raise his kids, right? I fall short oftentimes. Oftentimes, I fall short. But I get to raise them right so other young, younger, I'm not young anymore, I'm 41 now. I used to say I'm young, but now I'm, I'm older. <laughs> younger parents that are in their 30s or in 20s, whatever, they get to see, oh, it is possible to live, to raise kids in a God-honoring way in this generation. 
it is very possible. And that's my role, and that's my job, that's my responsibility. Young people especially, and I'm done, you haven't experienced a lot of opportunities for regret yet, let alone a life of regret. But you will. You will if you don't make godly decisions. There's going to be somebody in here, young person here, that, and you guys are still very young. There's going to be somebody in here that's going to end up having a horrible marriage. And you're, you and your spouse are going to be fighting like crazy. Well, I got good news for you. You're not there yet. You're not there yet. That's just something that might be in your future. You can erase it. You're not there yet. Some of you, maybe not yet, but you got your outfits down. You got your, your, your attire down. You're coordinated. You got all these nice shiny shoes and all this wonderful stuff. But sadly, within 10 years, you're going to have little demons as kids. They're going to be running the show. But I'm pretty. I'm handsome. I'm buff. I don't understand how this has happened. No, you need to be godly. You need to be godly. It's not how many push-ups you can do. How many pages of the Bible do you turn every day in reading it? How many minutes do you spend in, in, in prayer every single day? You don't have a life of regret yet. And you can avoid it if you make godly decisions. Parents with small children in the home, some which can't even talk or walk yet. Do you even love your children? Do you love your children? Love them enough. If you love them, love them enough to steer them away from a life of regret. What's one of the best things that you can do for your kids, Brother Charlie? One of the best things I can do for my kids, I'll be honest with you, teach them. I'll be honest with you, I can't really see them. I'm just pretending. Teach them to have a life, to, to avoid a life of regret. That's the best thing. Every single day I'm talking to my kids. Today I talk to them. I'm constantly out. Decision, things that I've never did for my mom and dad. Never, never gave them my mom and dad the respect that I'm teaching them to have. I'm trying to teach them to have to avoid a life of regret. Those of us that are older, we know what regret feels like, don't we? We dislike it. Well, guess what? Dislike it enough to do everything we can to minimize it moving forward. Dislike it enough. That horrible feeling that we have thinking about some decision that we regretted in our life. Maybe it was an investment. Maybe it was a mean word that we said to someone that's not here anymore. It could have been a number of things. Think about that feeling. Let that feeling motivate you to avoid any more regret that you have in your life. Consider the consequences of sin and value your one life for God. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I really do pray that you would help us as a church to not only grow numerically, though we are growing numerically, but grow spiritually and help us to ground ourselves. And I believe that we are. I, I had so much liberty in preaching today. A lot of people understand the mission that you have for every one of our lives. And God, that is a blessing to be able to preach to a company as this. What a blessing, Lord. And I pray that you help us to remain God-honoring with our lives to avoid and drastically minimize a life of regret that the devil has for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.